Check one, two. I'm on. Okay, there we go. Good morning. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to speak with you this morning. Um, just a disclaimer, if you are visiting with us, I am not the normal guy. So don't hold that against uh, the people here. Andy is out of town. He's with his family. Uh, and so we wish them the best of luck as they travel back today. Uh, and if you are visiting with us, you are our honored guests. It's so good to have you with us. And we'd love for you to stick around after uh, this morning, give us some time to get to know you and spend some time just to, to kind of talk with you and how we can love on you more and how you can be involved here at the family at JA. We would love nothing more to do that. Over the past several weeks, we've been walking through this series, as Bobby mentioned earlier, called Sanctified. Uh, this idea of asking this question of where I am and where I'm going. We're going to talk about that a little more in a bit, but this, this topic comes from this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul gives kind of this laundry list of sins, a list that we've looked at pretty extensively over the past couple of weeks. And in this list, Paul lists several different types of sins, things that maybe we might see as a big deal, things that we know and we steer very clear from, but things maybe that have a little bit tighter of a root in our lives, things that maybe we don't treat as big of a deal, but maybe we should. And he tells these people, these early Christians in the Corinthian church, that are just like you and me, that are just normal people trying to follow Christ the best they can. We have so much in common with them. He tells these people that just like you and me, that even though they had these things in their lives, even though these things were part of their lives, those things no longer define them. They no longer have to carry the guilt of these things anymore. Because in verse 11 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he says that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Over the past few weeks, we've been walking through this series, focusing on that idea of, of how we have been sanctified. And as we have said before, it's where we are, but it's also where we are going. Like the Christians in Corinth, because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, you and I have been sanctified, we've been justified, we've been washed clean. It is what I am and where I am right now, and praise God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But it's also where I am going, meaning that out of response to the love that has been poured out to me, I enter into this process of sanctification, a process where I am looking at my life and I am constantly asking what part can I give what part can I use to better give God glory? And this morning, we are looking at the idea of rest. How can I sanctify? How can I use my rest? How I use my free time? How I entertain myself? How can I glorify God in that time? When I was a student in college, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, we had a guy come in for chapel. Uh, and I don't remember his name. All I know is that he was a pretty big uh, pretty big guy in the corporate business world. He would travel around and speak to a lot of larger corporations. Uh, I, I can't remember some of the corporations, but I know he was, he was really big. He was really well up. He had kind of climbed the rank and retired, and now he spends his time going and speaking to these guys. And he was a believer. And I remember him coming to chapel and talking to us about the fact that we're never going to really find this process of sanctification by chance. If we don't make the time to serve God and follow God, we're never going to just find that time. Life has a way of filling in the time that we think we have, right? 
I don't remember much of what he said, but I remember one thing that really stood out to me. He said this quote, and I, and I haven't forgotten it since. He looked at all of us college students, and he said, guys, remember, this is the least busiest you will be in your life. The least busiest you will be. At that time, I was taking 18 hours that semester. I was the president of my social club. I was working for admissions. I was a campus ministry intern all at once. And I remember sitting there as the college student thinking he knew everything, right? Laughing, like you've got to be joking. Like there's no way life can get any busier than there. But as I quickly learned as I entered into adulthood and into my career, he was right. And some of you are sitting here laughing at me today and thinking, oh, just wait. It gets more. I promise, I I know when that happens, we'll sit down and we'll have coffee and you can explain to me all the secrets of life. I would love that. I need all the help I can get. Some of you are saying, hey, it only only gets busier, right? Our lives, they get busy. There's always something to do, places to go, people to see, games to be at. There's always something that somehow finds the time that we thought we had. Situations arise health problems, multiple different things, it can become exhausting. And it's because of that we really have started to value, we really value this very rare thing called free time or rest. We value it so much that we've become protective of it, right? Almost to a point of sometimes even to an extreme. Have you ever had someone call you up the night you had plans and cancel and then you kind of had that little feeling of joy come up inside of you you're like oh does that mean I can sit at home watch tv and not have to worry about anything have you ever canceled plans because you really really wanted some free time I've been there that's natural right because we know times like this that time becomes few and far between. We value that time because we don't get it a lot anymore. But we can value it so much, we can become so protective of it that maybe unknowingly or sometimes knowingly, we keep that part of our life from God. We let our desires take the lead. I have a hard time submitting my free time to God, and maybe you share that struggle with me. But if you and I want Jesus to be the Lord of our life, and I think that's the commitment that we have being here, that's the reason we're entering into this process of sanctification. We want Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. If we want that, if we are committed to being sanctified and living as true living sacrifices to God, as described in Romans 12, 1, then that means we must submit to Jesus and let him be the Lord of how we spend our free time, how we entertain ourselves, and what we do when we rest. Jesus wants to be involved in every part of our life. We have to submit this to Jesus. We have to seek how Jesus wants us to do this because our culture has a messed up view of rest. Over the past several years, there's kind of been this big push or or movement emphasizing this idea of self-care. And don't get me wrong, I totally agree with the idea of taking care of yourself and, and giving your body and mind the rest that it needs, but I think we've pushed that to the extreme at times. Self-care has become self-obsession, where I am not really thinking about what I truly need. Instead, I have compromised to my desires and my compulsions. 
self-care becomes, I just want to numb. I want to veg out for a few hours. I don't want to think about anything else. That's the definition that many in our culture operate when they talk about rest, when they talk about self-care. I just don't want to think about the stress, the hurry, the busyness. I just want to numb and turn my brain off for a little bit, and I want to do it my way. So here's my goal for this lesson. Uh, I don't want to villainize rest. I don't want to villainize how we use our free time or how we rest. That is something that I think I know, something I know I can do a much better job as well. But my goal for this morning is for us to walk away with a better understanding of what biblical rest is. A better understanding of how Jesus viewed rest and how we can actually, how this idea can provide a much deeper and more fulfilling rest. That's my goal for this lesson. So what can we do this morning to walk away with a deeper, more biblical view of rest? How can we use our free time to glorify God. I think the best way to do that is to look at how Jesus treated rest, how Jesus employed rest in his ministry, how he engaged in rest in solitude, how he used his free time. Jesus believed in the power of rest. Jesus believed heavily in the power of rest. God's people believed in the power of rest. God's people were people of Sabbath, right? It's a topic we see mentioned throughout Scripture, so let's kind of break this down and talk about what is Sabbath and and what principles can we take from this. Sabbath is a biblical concept that's established by God in Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, turn over me to Genesis chapter 2 in the very beginning. And right at the end of this kind of creation account, the creation story, we see that God takes a moment, and I want us to read what Scripture says here because I think the wording is really important. Genesis chapter 2, and read with me verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God rested, or God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work and that he had done in creation. This is the beginning of of where we see this concept throughout Scripture that God commands later on in Exodus that we're going to look at in a little bit. This is the beginning, the establishment of this idea of Sabbath, of rest, of this day of rest. The word Sabbath literally means to stop. To stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. So the idea of the Sabbath is that God has instituted a day of rest. Not only did he institute it, he blessed it. He made it holy. He approved of it, right? So we see that God emphasizes this rest, but what's its purpose? Turn over me to Exodus chapter 31. And in Exodus 31, we kind of see a a longer conversation about the Sabbath. We're not going to look at all of this uh, conversation. But at the end of Exodus 31, God kind of reveals to us a little bit more about what this purpose is for this day of rest. What, What is the purpose? Look with me in Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. This is God talking to Moses. Um, observing the Sabbath throughout their generation as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. 
So we see here, God kind of explains a little bit more about what this day is to mean. It was a sign of their covenant, so adherence and obedience to God. It was kind of a way of them expressing that we can rely on our God to take a day completely out of their week to rest and to be still and know that He is God. What a beautiful concept. What a beautiful way to show your obedience, your trust, your desire to be with God. The second thing I think we see is that so the people could rest. It's kind of this idea. God wants us to rest. Why? To be refreshed. To be ready to serve in better ways each week. All Jews practiced Sabbath. It was a staple of life for the Jewish people. And Jesus, being obedient to the law, would have practiced Sabbath. We see it recorded several times in the New Testament But I don't think Jesus just practiced the Sabbath in law. He also practiced the Sabbath in principle, which is what is important for us today. While we're not bound under the Old Testament law, we're not commanded to keep this day. Jesus, outside of this day, emphasizes rest. Outside of this day, he emphasizes time to go and find solitude. There are times outside of the Sabbath day that Jesus sought solitude in his free time to prioritize rest. Yes, he practices the Sabbath by law, but Jesus shows us that we can practice this principle from the Sabbath, that rest is important and needed. We were created to need it. God valued and emphasized rest, so Jesus valued and emphasized the importance of rest. We're going to read a little bit later that Jesus, he took no shame in taking the time off that he needed in rest and to refresh himself when needed. We should feel no shame when we do this either. Jesus valued rest. I think the second thing we can see from how Jesus treated rest was rest was actually rest. This is something that I think I struggle with. It's very easy for rest to not become rest. It's very easy to say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take some time. I'm going to study my Bible or spend some time in prayer, spend some time with the family. I want to set this time aside to be present, right? But all we can think about when we do those things are the things that we could be doing, the things coming up, the things that we could be doing with this time. It's almost like we suffer from a terminal restlessness, This idea of I can never really sit down and be present because my mind constantly wonders. And I think that's why we go to things that distract us from our mind wondering. It's this idea of we need some kind of stimulation to keep us away, this terminal restlessness. Jesus seems to set boundaries to help help him to prevent this very thing. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we're going to read a a very interesting story. It's kind of an interesting account. Uh, It's an account you've looked at before, but I I like it because it's a little bit of a different angle than I've ever looked at this. Uh, And in Mark chapter 6, in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus sends his disciples out to do a, a rather large mission. He sends the disciples out and he sends them with practically nothing. If you read, he says, hey, don't even take an extra cloak for yourself. Don't take food. Don't take anything. It's a complete and total reliance trip on God's provisions, which is adding kind of to the stress of their mission, right? He sends them out and he says, I want you to go and heal and proclaim and teach. And so they go and do that. And while that's happening, Jesus is staying where he is, most likely in Galilee, and he's teaching and doing ministry, except now he's doing it by himself. 
He had 12 hands. Now there's one. The disciples are going out. Most likely they've split up and gone different ways to cover more ground, possibly in pairs. There's a lot of work that's being done, but not as many hands are doing the work. This is what kind of where we are in the beginning of this chapter. And then in verse 30 of Mark 6, we see that they return. And look at what happens. Read with me verse 30 through 32 of Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure to eat. Jesus recognizes, hey, these guys have been working hard. They, they have been on a long trip. They were doing good work and they're tired. Scripture tells us they barely even had time to eat. So many people were coming and going. So much good work was happening. They didn't even have time to sit down and to have a proper meal. You probably know how busy that can be. Have you ever maybe had a a really stressful day at work trying to get deadlines done, trying to get this and that lined up, just trying to get home, and you're driving home and it doesn't even hit you until you're on your way home? You're starving because you totally forgot to eat the lunch that you brought. In fact, it may still be sitting in the passenger seat of your car. You're so focused on getting into the office, getting into the job, getting what needed to get done and coming home. Some of you know that busyness. This seems to me this was a constant busyness for them. We don't know how long they were gone, but it it seems to kind of indicate this was a pretty long time. This was a hard time of work. Jesus recognizes this. And he says, hey, you've been working hard. Let's go get some rest. Let's eat. Let's find a desolate place and rest. Now, the ironic part of this story is that's not really what happens, right? They go and they find this place and the crowds find them. And then this turns into the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, right? It turns into a lot more work uh, after even more work, right? Uh, and there's probably a lesson there of, of balance. There's a lesson there of, hey, sometimes you're going to seek rest and you're not going to be able to do that because needs arise. That's a lesson for another time. But we see that principle here. But even in the midst of all of that, I want you to draw your attention to the end of this story. Look at me in verses 45 through 47. 45 through 47. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. This is a detail I think we skip a lot. I know I've skipped a lot when I've read this account, but notice what happens. Scripture tells us that they fed all the people. After they had met the needs of the people, they did what they were called upon to do. The Bible tells us immediately, immediately Jesus takes his disciples and puts them on a boat and sends them away. It's almost as if Jesus says, hey, we've, we've done our part. We've met the need that's in front of us. We were seeking rest. This came up. This happens. But now we need to take a break. Let's pack up. Let's get some rest. Think about the situation that they are in. There are thousands of people who have traveled to see Jesus. They have come to this desolate place. And the question that crossed my mind when I read this is, why did they leave so immediately? Do you not think that they could have spent, do you not think that there was still work that could have been done there? good work that could have been done there? Do you think there was not the possibility they could have spent the rest of the night ministering to these people, healing 
Absolutely. Absolutely they could have stayed there all night and ministered to these thousands of people and more probably would have came after they heard the news. But if you read again before what's happening here, when you read what had happened before, the disciples had been doing that extensively for a while now. They, they were on this mission. Jesus was ministering in Galilee. Most likely, they were physically, emotionally exhausted. They needed a break. So Jesus sends them on the boat, and he goes to pray. This is a rare moment where we see Jesus seems to set a boundary to protect himself and his disciples from burning out and to be, and to be able to accomplish their mission effectively. Jesus says rest is rest. There comes a time when boundaries need to be set so that we can be our best. There's no shame in that. Jesus tells us rest needs to be rest. The third thing I think we can learn from Jesus about rest is rest is supposed to satisfy and prepare, not to distract. One thing that I think is interesting to take no, a note of uh, is when the times that Jesus actually took rest in the New Testament. We know there's several accounts of this. There's several times where Jesus goes and he seeks solitude. He goes and he seeks time to pray. It's interesting to kind of look at the times that he does this and when he does this. Jesus seems to do this intentionally. Jesus sought rest in very similar times that I think we do. When, we're, when he was overwhelmed, when he had a lot on his mind, when he had a lot of things on his plate. We see here in the account of Mark 6, Jesus, we see Jesus do this after a long session of ministry. After long days of work, Jesus said, hey, I need some time, we need some time to, ha- to kind of have some time for ourselves to pray and to fill ourselves up. So we see Jesus do this after long sessions of ministry. In Luke 6, 12 through 13, We see Jesus goes by himself and he rests and he prays before he calls the 12 disciples, before he names them, the 12 apostles. Jesus rested before big decisions. Jesus rested. I don't know if it was necessarily rest, but he took time in solitude. He took some time off in the face of a really intimidating task, like when he prayed in the garden in Luke 22, 41. Jesus seems to use rest, solitude, free time, not as a distraction, but as a preparation for the tasks ahead of him. Not as something that pushed off the stress or pushed off the problem, but rather fulfilled him and prepared him better to approach it in a new way. Jesus left his times of rest fulfilled, satisfied, and ready to do more work, not the same way that he entered it in. Rest should fulfill us, should prepare us, not distract us. So the question is, if that is what, how, if that is not what my rest is doing, if the way I'm spending my free time is not doing this, how can I make it look like this? How can I sanctify my rest for God? How can I use my rest, my free time to glorify God more and to be more like Jesus in this area? And the answer that we're going to discuss this morning, it's nothing revolutionary. Uh, it's nothing new. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of simple. It's pretty simple. But it's not as simple on the application side. I think one of the things we see from Jesus is if we want our rest to look more like Jesus, we have to intentionally invite God into our rest. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for many of you in this room, my idea of rest and your idea of rest, my idea of using my free time and your idea or your way of using your free time would not be incredibly different. My idea of rest is sitting and watching TV, Netflix, on my phone, not really doing anything for hours on end, right, and consuming our favorite shows. It's vegging out on insert your favorite type of media here. And so often I've become stressed, anxious, worried about something, worried about the things I have to do. I'm overwhelmed, and I've sought rest in these things. I've went home. I've vegged out. I numbed it, and I would wake up the next morning, and I would feel those feelings start to arise back up. That feeling of stress, of anxiousness, of tiredness, right? And I would think, why is this happening? Why am I not refreshed? Why I didn't do anything last night, right? I took it easy. I watched like four seasons of my favorite show. I, I, I read my favorite book. I spent time with my family. I did this. I did that. I, I went to bed early. Why am I still feeling this way? It's because those things were not designed to fulfill or satisfy me the way I need it. That's, those things are not where true rest is found. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's this idea of true rest, the biblical rest that we see Jesus engage in, is only found in him, in the Lord. I was talking to Evan about my lesson this week, and I told him I was speaking on rest, and and he lent me this book that had a really amazing section on on rest and on Sabbath. Uh, And in this section, there was a quote uh, from the Bishop of Hippo. Um, I don't know very much about this section of history. What I concluded is he was some kind of official in the time of Rome, and it was, and this quote was written in the time of the fall of Rome. A very stressful time, a very overwhelming time. This was written kind of in that time, and he wrote these words that I think are very powerful. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until it rests in him. That idea of that God has made us for himself and our hearts will continue to be restless until they rest upon the one that made them for him. When I seek rest in other places, when I seek rest from things that are not promised to give me that, it's not fulfilling. It's just distracting. It leaves me more tired than when I actually came into it. Maybe not for a few fleeting hours, maybe not for a few days, But in the end, I go back to those things and I'm always craving more. It's this idea of it's not satisfying. Jesus says true rest, rest for your soul is found in him. How can we ever expect to to feel rested when I am seeking it from anywhere other than the true source of rest? So the question is, what does this look like? What what does this look like? How can I invite God intentionally into my rest? What does it look like when God is invited into my rest? It starts with me having to take the power away from worthless things. In my study for this week, I came across this verse in Psalms uh, that was read for us earlier. Thank you, Josh. Psalms 101, 3 through 4. It's a really powerful verse uh, in a section where David kind of talks about walking with integrity before the Lord. 
this is what he says in verse 3 and 4. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. What powerful language there. He kind of concludes in verse 4. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. What a powerful thought we see David present here. The idea that I am not going to waste my time with things that are worthless. I'm not going to fill my rest and my solitude with things that are not actually going to fulfill me, right? It can be so easy to become distracted with these things that in reality are doing nothing but causing me more and more duress, that are causing me more and more problems to, t- to think that these things that are distracting us are actually helpful. David tells us, don't give those things power. Don't give those things the power they have. He says, actually, those things need to be so far away from your life. You don't need to commit to those things. You should know nothing of those things because if they are given too much power, they have the ability to pervert the heart, to pull the heart away from God, to pull us further from the source of where that true rest is. So part of inviting God into your rest, part of finding true, fulfilling, satisfying rest is taking the power from what is actually worthless. When you consume media, what does this look like? I had to ask myself the question of what does this look like in my life? So when I consume media, when I, can, when I sit down and I do this, this is something I struggle with. I have to ask myself the question, is, this, is the message of this media helping me grow closer to Christ? Is it helping me focus more on what God wants me to focus on? Or is it filling me with things that are worthless? Is, is this where I want my thoughts to go in times of stress? Because ultimately it will. Jesus says that the eyes are the lamp of the body. What we see fills us. And what, we, what fills us comes out in moments where maybe in moments of stress, in moments of emotion, are these the things, are these the reactions I want? What am I seeing on my screen? What am I seeing? Are these the things I want to fill us and ultimately dictate how I may respond to situations? Am I going to be happy if I respond the way from what I'm seeing? Is what I'm doing exclusive or inclusive? Is it shutting me off from people who can actually fill me up? Is it pulling me away from my family? There's a difference between solitude and isolation. Jesus sought solitude plenty of times, but he never isolated himself. It was never to the point he could never be reached, but he sought time for himself. Am I closing myself to my family who can help me fill me up? Am I closing myself off to God? Am I falling too deep into isolation? What am I putting in my heart and how does that affect my thoughts? If I'm not happy with my answers, then I need to maybe look at what power I'm giving certain things. And I need to take some power away for some things. Part of inviting God into your rest is not giving worthless things power. And the second part of that is giving power to the right things. Instead of giving my, instead of giving power to things that are worthless, I, t- I take that power away, but it does me no good if I do not put that power back into something that I can see the benefits from. Otherwise, I'm going to go back to those other vices. If I'm not taking and plugging in something else, 
If I just leave that space empty, I'm going to go back to those things. There has to be a change. If we want to invite God into our rest, then we need to give the power to spending time with God. And you may say, well, obviously, when you start thinking about what that looks like, it's a lot harder because it requires sacrifice. It requires putting my desires underneath me and on God. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because instantly our mind jumps to that means my free time no longer becomes mine. When, when we think about this, when we think about what that kind of what that looks like uh, of inviting God into our rest, for some reason we kind of go to the just a total extreme where I shut myself off from the world and I become a monk and I lock myself in a monastery and all these things. That's not what I'm asking you to do this morning. That does nobody else good. If nobody else has access to you, again, isolation and solitude are totally different things. What does this look like? What does giving the power to the right things look like? This can start incredibly simply. Maybe it's listening to a spiritual podcast while you work out, cook dinner, wait in your car line. Maybe it's taking your Bible to those same places and just whenever you have time, reading a psalm, reading a few verses. Maybe it's memorizing a verse each day before you start your day. Maybe it's praying with your family before you go out to your movie night, you go out to your family night. Maybe it is intentionally setting your phone down, turning the TV off, and studying 30, 45 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, starting to engage and give God the power and let Him do what God does. Let Him show you the power that He has to offer. God wants you to include Him. He wants you to come to Him for rest. He wants to give you peace. But if you never give Him what He can do... If you can never see that power, then you'll never fully experience the rest that we can receive. When we enter into the rest with Christ in mind, when he is the first place we run, not the last, we experience the biblical rest that Jesus talks about and see and shows us in the New Testament. So in closing this morning, I just have a few simple questions. Questions that I've had to consider myself, questions that I'm wrestling with myself, and questions that I want you to know you're not alone in. Where is the power distributed in my life this morning? Are there worthless things that are taking the place that, can, that will actually never give me rest? Are they taking the place from things that will give me rest? What needs to change there? Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like me. You're thinking that one day you're just going to wake up and you're going to have those desires to do those things instead of go, go scroll on your phone for four hours. Something I tell my teens quite a bit is, hey, this, this idea, this growth, it's not going to happen by chance. You're not just going to wake up one day and be able to perfectly sanctify your wrist. It takes intentionality and it takes starting with small changes that lead to big changes. Maybe this morning you want to have a small change this morning that leads to some bigger changes. Maybe you need some help with that. Maybe you need some accountability. This is what this church family is for, to love and support you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready to give all the power of your life to the one who can give you rest. Not only physical rest, not only rest on this earth, but eternal rest. We would love nothing more than to study with you, to baptize you this morning into that rest. If you need anything this morning, won't you come as we stand? And as we sing.